Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Course Squash Podcast. Today's show features an in-depth interview with husband, wife, coach and player Danny and Laura Mazzaro. Danny is the author of the book The Winning Parent and Laura reached the summit of the rankings during a stellar career which included multiple major trophies. My name is Arthur Gaskin and with me as ever here is Stuart Crawford and Christopher Sackley. How are you doing fellas? Good thanks Arthur. Oh very nice, very nice. <laughs> Stuart you got a nice little haircut there, streamlined. Yeah, did it, did it myself, I'm not sure that uh, it's quite what I wanted but desperate times, desperate measures. Is that desperate times, literally, to try and knock off a little bit, a couple of seconds off your half marathon time? Well, that wasn't my thought when I did it, but if that's what happens, then I'm happy to take it. Take I might go down. Bit. I mean, I'm not at the same level as you cyclists, boys, with shaving my legs, but that might be the next step. <laughs> waxing, man. <laughs> you started waxing your legs, Chris? No, no, not yet. Still just still just getting the uh, getting the feel for the bike. He's <laughs> still trying to fit into the Lycra. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, so... Before we move on, what's uh, what's happening in the squash world, Stuart? So a couple of things that uh, caught my attention, the New Zealand tour that we've been following pretty closely wrapped up this weekend. So Temua Chilisi ended up winning the, the last two events, um, ended up winning three of the four events, and Joel Arscott won the, the second of the four events for the, claim the other title. I believe that's the end of the series, but it'll be interesting to see what else they, they have going on down there in New Zealand. Um, the other thing that uh, I watched yesterday actually was um, the squash skills documentary on the urban squash program in New York. Uh, what's it called? Squash. A, a Bronx tale? Squash skills? That's not getting caught. <laughs> Should have done your homework, son. <laughs> Where was I? Yeah, the other, th- the other thing that caught my attention was just yesterday I watched the Squash Skills documentary on the City Squash program, I think A Bronx Tale, featuring. Um, Obviously, Jethro Binns, the lead guy at Squash Skills, but he was interviewing Brian Patterson and also Tim Wyant, who I know fairly well because he's actually the brother of Jack Wyant, who's the director of Squash at University of Penn. It was really interesting and I think don't want to give away some inside secrets, but we're hoping to have a couple of them on the show to talk about the documentary and how it came about. But really fun to see an insight into the urban squash programs and just the impact that they have on some the kids' lives, and uh, obviously not the traditional squash market in the US with sort of lower income kids that maybe wouldn't normally get access to the sport over here. Yeah, it's amazing. So before we get into the interview with Laura and Danny, Chris, what springs to mind when you think about Laura Mazzaro, the squash player? Yeah, just a little bit from talking to her, but also kind of connecting the dots from, from before knowing her at all uh, personally. And just kind of comparing what she talks about to then what how she played, you can really tell she she didn't leave anything to chance. She professionalized her entire training plan team, and she did mention you know Nicole David was the first first squash player she saw that did that, and no one else was doing that. She kind of modeled that around Nicole. But after seeing a couple videos, I think England Squash put something out about her recently, and I know one of the parts was kind of, you know, poking fun at her movement. I think DP, uh, Dave Pearson was saying something along the lines of she, she couldn't make it to the top with her, with her at movement or athleticism. And so like not only impressive how hard she worked to get there, but then just the ultimate total package in terms of what she, how she approached the game. Yeah, totally. You, you mentioned Nicole David. She's probably the first person to put up a real challenge to her that didn't kind of accept that number two was as high as she could be and no wonder when you think that she saw Nicole doing all these things having a team around her coaches and physios she did the same thinking that that was going to help her reach her potential or give her every chance to get to the summit of the rankings yeah I've known Laura for a little while and I think the best word to describe her is meticulous she's the sort of person that when she puts her mind to something she really goes all in on it and very determined um, very driven but also hugely disciplined and like I say once she's decided that she's set a goal she just goes up after it and as you say she was really the first person in my mind that really went after trying to take that number one spot off Nicole I think actually Renim was the person that ended her run but Laura got to number one three or four months later so eventually paid off 
And and Danny as well. I mean, he was obviously an integral part to Laura's coaching team of people that were around her. Yeah, and it's always interesting to hear from people who who have the kind of sports sports psychology background. I think as coaches, we're all probably pretty interested in it, even if maybe we weren't as as players. And uh, he kind of used the game in in a few different a few different perspectives, and it was just cool to cool to hear hear about him and. I you you touched on it, Arthur, uh, in the interview that you know you had to you had to kind of try and cool down the wife after a tough league match. But <laughs> honestly, like I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine, yeah, the how strong and how much respect had to be in that relationship for them to be able to go through those highs and lows. You must have had some experiences with that with your brother back in the day, Chris. Yeah, I mean, even now, right, just watching watching a live stream of him playing wherever I'm getting mad. I'm getting happy highs, lows, depending on the result and how he's playing. You know, I can only imagine being Danny was there every step of the way, every match, every training session. So yeah, I mean, really cool. It'd be fun to be able to do that with, with my brother, but um, yeah, tough, tough, uh, tough making enough money to travel with me. I'm expensive, expensive guy on the road. <laughs> Uh, in demand. I think it's also worth mentioning that Danny's actually a really good player in his own right. I actually, I've known him for a while um, and I actually played in the same league team as him for a couple of years. So back in the day when I was playing Northwest Counties down around Manchester, I played for a club called Presbury and I was in the same team as Danny for a couple of seasons. And he was playing pretty high level squash in the first division of the Northwest Counties League. So people that know squash in the UK would know that you need to be a pretty handy player to play at that level um, he also I think has been finalist in the British over 40 championships three times in the last sort of three or four years and he was also semi-finalist in the over 35s going back a little bit further so yeah very accomplished player and I think him and Laura also hit together a fair amount it was funny as well he's a very understated guy even as a coach he currently works with a number of professionals and you don't see him posting on Facebook and Twitter, which he's obviously totally entitled to do, but he doesn't do that. He's, he's pretty, uh, just kind of floats underneath the radar a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's get into it. Okay, we are delighted to welcome on today's show, Laura and Donny Mazzaro. Laura had a not bad playing career, to be fair, including reaching the summit of the rankings in 2016. She's a two-time British Open champion, world champion, to name just a few of her achievements as a player. She did this with the support of her team, which included her husband, Danny Mazzaro. Danny's been a coach for over 20 years himself and currently works with some of the best players in the world. He's also the author of the book, The Winning Parent. Laura and Danny, thanks a million for coming on the show. How are you doing? Great. Good, thanks. <laughs> hey, happy days. How's uh, everything's been going okay? Yeah, it's been going well, thanks. We've, uh, we've been enjoying lockdown. I don't think... Um either of us well we were both always quite good at relaxing um so we've had loads <laughs> of time to <laughs> do that Danny actually did say a couple of weeks ago it's not a lot different for me really <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, that sounds about right I'd be off training in the morning and he'd be at home and he'd walk the dog and it's probably me I've, I've, I've eased into retirement and got more down to his level I think <laughs> happy days I mean never a more chill guy <laughs> <laughs> Tried to make it like that for a long time, really. Instead of just doing the nine to five, you know, how can I get get a life where you got a bit more time on your hands? So that's it. Yeah, if you used if you used to having a bit of time on your hands, I suppose lockdown's been a bit easier than if you're constantly busy all the time. It's probably been a bit of a shock. I don't know about you guys, but we've been kind of trying to keep pretty busy and just using it as a as a chance or an opportunity to apply what skills we have into different areas, including podcasts. <laughs> brilliant it's great that's what you've got to do isn't it you've got to keep trying to make meaning out of things and you know make, make sure there's a point to your day and feel like you're progressing and making it a bit better and any any little way you can do that that's getting on do stuff it's got to help than just sitting around you know feeling sorry for yourself and feeling like you've been put on yeah. I really admire all the things I've seen and, and, and a lot of the players that I've worked with and talked to it's, it's like, you know, get get doing something useful, even if that's relaxing well, you know, but, but you know, do a few things, try a new, few new things 
and and when you're ready, get back onto your squash, and, and everything will be, be you know be fine. And anyone who seems to have been able to do that has tended to you know ride ride the waves quite well, really. We talked about it on uh, on one of the episodes. How it's just funny how basic you can you can be in lockdown and still get get so much out of it in terms of training. And I don't really have many weights here, and I, I joined in on one of Laura's sessions. Uh, Recently, and I, I threw a bunch of small weights and a couple bricks into a gardening <laughs> bucket and did my did my squats with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just also... like, yeah, same as you guys. I like trying to set up a you know a bit of a YouTube channel just to sort of help people during lockdown, really. And it's been unbelievable some of the sessions that I've been able to get done. And I mean, no one knew about well, I, no one really knew about Zoom, did they, before lockdown? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it has been really good for that side of things yeah i can definitely confirm what you're saying danny about being used i was unemployed for about nine months last year so i had plenty of prep getting used to this situation so i didn't actually know at the time but i was definitely getting ready for 2020 last year (laughs) (laughs) there's one guy i work with he's been in egypt and he's he's you know, he's been there for a year and it's tough for him, you know, and he lives on his own and he's been training hard and, and then he, and he got to grips with it. And then lockdown happened. He was over in England and he was, then it, you know, that's the same as you. He, he didn't realise that living on his own in Egypt for quite a long time had, had prepped his mind, you know. And then he went back to India and he had to quarantine in a hotel room for two weeks on his own, which was like really tough. Um, but... He was like, no, I can do this. I've, I've been here before. <laughs> so again, he didn't know we were well trained for it. It's amazing how adaptable we can be when we really have to be or need to be. Yeah. So one of the first things I'd like us to go through is the player-coach-husband-wife relationship. There's great stories of you know Serena Williams and her coach, and I'm not sure if it's husband, but definitely partner. And there's uh, Justine Hennen-Harden, another tennis player who... I think won six Grand Slams. There's you two guys who, between you, have have got, I mean, three major titles and world number one. What was it? What what's that like? I mean, I know, like, my wife played her first ever competitive squash game last season in the Rhode Island League. And after a loss, when she came home, she'd be raging, man. Don't get me wrong; she's having fun with it. We have a good laugh about it, and it's it's good crack. But what's that like when it's your actual livelihood? Whose perspective do you want first? Laura, you're straight in. You're dying to give it. Let's go. <laughs> Probably best that it's mine first and then... <laughs> oh! <laughs> there you go. That's part of it. No, to be honest, um, when we when when we started out, it was a lot tougher than it was, I'd say, to, through the middle and the end. Um, mainly, well, probably both of us matured, obviously, through the, through 10 years, say. Um, but I, I also came to appreciate Danny a lot more and gave him a lot more credit um, for, you know, his skills. Like you say, at first, you just, you know, kind of husband. And I had I was working probably with Phil Whitlock quite a lot. That was a relation, part of a relationship that kind of took actually a lot of pressure off Danny because Phil was very um, kind of, you know, follow what I do and that's it. There is no kind of you know, anyone coming in from the outside. But when I moved to be working with DP, Danny and DP um, were very good friends. And and it was it was just unbelievable because um, Danny basically almost became like, well, probably mentored slightly by DP and almost, yeah. you know, his coaching level now because of 10 years of pretty much watching every single lesson that I did, videoing it for me, coming home, working on it with me week in, week out. Um, over those years, and um, when I started out, I was very kind of, you know, a bit petulant, you know, I would sulk a bit, he would be able to beat me when I was young, when I was a bit more younger starting out on tour. Um, and then as things changed, I, I matured and I started beating him, which helped a little bit. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, I respected him a lot more for his coaching and his knowledge and the fact that, you know, I had to, I had to accept that when he saw something in my swing, and it was this is this is what I think is going to help you improve there was no reason for me to push back on that anymore like my level of respect had gone to the point where it was like you're almost DP's eyes when he's not there because we'd go back to DP so many times and Danny and I'd say Danny said this about my swing and DP would go yeah I agree and I'd be like okay so you know we'd go and practice and we'd go and do the work away and you know it basically did become a partnership and then 
Um, and then obviously you're talking about the husband wife stuff that coming home after a bad day's training. I mean, I mean, if, if you, if anyone knows us too, you have to be able to talk squash with us and you have to be up for a good debate and a good listen and a good chat and all that. And if you don't want that and you don't want to talk about squash off the clock, then we're not the people that you should be hanging around with. So for us, it was the way we lived the life was a 24 hour role and job and partnership I'd say and I'd pick up the phone after a good and a bad training session and now that path has ended and the retirement's on the other side we can now enjoy life the good the the little bits of life that were married life are now just that a little bit bigger which is which is brilliant but we're both still extremely passionate about squash and the sport and helping other people get better now yeah geez Danny what about from your perspective I think in the really early early years there was a lot went in then as well. I used to do the psychology things, which, you know, I've mentioned Laura's book perhaps later. And there's lots of, uh, we look back all over the old files from about 2003 <laughs> to two, four or five. And there's all this psychology stuff I used to set her and worksheets. And, and then you're like flipping out. I really was involved then, even though I only really went on tour probably just before we got married, 2006 sort of 2007 then I left my job and then probably did you know like 12 years then uh, but I kept a job going but I really thought if we're going to do this we're going to really do it properly and I remember yeah. leaving Laura at the airport in just one one tournament um, and drove off and I just felt really felt really wrong but why am I driving off home now she's going over there I should be with her I, you know, I, I can really help really now. I, I know I can. Um, and I know I can analyse the other players. And the way we were starting to go at it, like it was like, leave no stone unturned. We're going to really do it. Let's, you know, let's not just play the role of a professional. Let's not just tick the boxes and have the sponsors, the coach, the nutritionist. Let's not, you know, just do it. Let's really do it. Let's do every little thing we can and do it properly. So it just felt like a team effort and a and a, and a commitment. And then really, like I mean, in the you know in your marriage, it's like quite easy if your marriage is quite strong as well. And we've never you know it's one of our things has always been you know bottom line is we're here to make each other happy. We're not here to um, you know not do that. That's yeah. the bottom line. And when we're not, we need to talk about it quickly, nip it in the bud, and move on. Therefore, really, to be honest, Arthur, after that, like. And you know you're solid in that relationship, then above that you can have your little fallouts and dramas and you know little spats and good times and bad times, but you're fine. So then there's a lot of honesty there. You're not frightened of each other's honesty because yeah. you know you're solid um, and you're not you know you're not playing around. So in many many ways, it's a massive advantage if you can if you can be that honest with someone who's there uh, and and then you know try your best not to annoy each other. But we, we worked it out. We, you know, we worked. We liked traveling together. We, we we had our routines, and you know that became good. And then we had some role clarification, which was really important. Where Laura, we had one of the psychologists suggested that we write three things down we wanted from each other when we traveled, um, yep. so we weren't second guessing and overdoing it, uh, and we were both happy with each other. And for me, it was I wanted Laura to. Um, try as hard as she could in every match. Um, I wanted her to say thank you for the, for the times that I, I actually went out of my way and helped her. Like, don't just take me for granted because I'm trying. Yep. Um, the other thing was, let, when I'm away, let me have a holiday as well because I'm not just going for your squash. I have, I'm there and I, and I am actually a squash fan and I'll watch the men and I'll join in and I'll play the players. So it's, I'll go and play golf, go on a night out. So it's actually like an adventure for me. I mean, it was so, so lucky to be able to go on, on the pro tour and be so close to all my idols and heroes and favourite players, get to know them, get friendly with a lot of them. And, and then all that time I was learning the game myself as well. So I was learning techniques. And, so it was a real win-win for me. And it yeah. was like, as long as you don't get too precious, Laura, and you help, help me have all that, then you won't get the pressure of me being there. And Laura's for me was, uh, I want you to have that holiday 
you know, like, because that takes the pressure off me, you're thinking you've come all this way just for the squash result. You know, mm-hmm. if, if she lost first round, it could, it gives a lot of pressure. At least, and, Danny, at least Danny got a good night out last night. She could, mm-hmm. then she could say that, right? <laughs> yeah, that was what it was, what it was like, you know, it was like, oh, it wasn't all eggs in one basket. There were, it was things, like that conversation happened you know, on the way to the Cayman Islands for the world champs in 2012 or something. And, you know, it costs 900 quid for his flight and God knows how much in hotel costs plus food, plus not earning any money while away. And I'm on the flight thinking kind of going to be a bit rubbish if I lose first round here and we probably get about $500 or whatever (laughs) it was. So it was that like that. I'm sure a lot of players think that feel that worry about what that might be the issue if then take a take a husband, take a coach, take a family member away with them. It's that pressure that comes with that side of it that the extra cost of, you know, well, it's got to be worth it in my performance, but you have to, you have to trust that one, only one round in one event all season, or, you know, particularly if it's like quarterfinal to semifinal could pay for most of those events, particularly now with the prize money. So you kind of don't take it on like every single event's got to be worth it, but on the course of a season, as long as it's, it's paying off and, and as well, at the end of the day, that's what Nicole was doing. Nicole had a coach and she had a, a physio. And at the time when we started, we were just like, that's what you've got to do. You've got to separate yourself a little bit from the rest of the girls on tour. And you've got to go at this a little bit more professionally. I think, Laura, the other two things she said was, I want you to coach me between matches. So that's number two, as well as having a holiday. And I said, well, I can do that. And she said, and I want you to hit with me in the mornings and practice with me if I need practice. So it's like, well, I can do that. And, and, and I know that sounds really simple, but it, it really, really helped. A bit tough after a night out sometimes, I would imagine, though. Well, yeah, yeah but I wasn't that bad. You know, I was I don't know how I go out with camps and we have two beers. Of, you know, I, I was on it. You know, it wasn't like I was reckless. But what, the other thing what it was great for was if Laura did go out the tournament, you know, we could hang around, we could watch the other players, we could study them, get to know some of the other girls, we could go on court and fix it straight away. So one of our things was, you know, don't act like a loser for too long. You, you know, you can end up with, oh, I've lost right now. That means for two days, I've now got to like act like I've lost. It's like, no, you nip that in the bud, stop that, get back on court, fix it. Um, and a classic example of that was Chicago when she really was in good form and lost to Noran Gohar just on one of Gohar's unbelievable days. And it was a bit like, what happened there? And, I didn't just lose, I got you know, hammered. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you know, it was just one of them. You had to go over to Noran and just laugh and go, well played. That was like, bloody heck. But still upsetting, you know, because it was a bit of a shock. And um, it was like, Laura was next day, we were on court, we got the sessions right, Laura was in the gym, we did pressure, we were changing the technique straight away. I remember Malcolm being there and he noticed it and he saw me in one of the restaurants later and he said, I saw what you were doing today. He said, absolutely brilliant. He said, quality that. He went, go and win the British Open. And I remember thinking, two months later, she did. You know, because that led to an instant conversation. It led to like action, ringing DP, getting his input. He watched the match, get home, new training idea, good chat. And I think you had to think bigger term. It wasn't always an investment just for that one event. It was like for years and years and years, it was this constant investment. So you couldn't really lose because you were always building into your investment by being yeah. there. So that's what gave it like meaning and purpose for us, really. So you know, it wasn't as it wasn't what it might have seemed on the outside. Yeah, I suppose that that match was like a, an opportunity to to better yourself for a bigger event or an event that maybe had a bit more substance behind it. All events were like that. All events. You know, the, the, another one that comes to my mind was the World Open final when Laura was two 0 up against Shabini in Malaysia uh, and no, lost no. Uh, in the fifth, quite close. Um, you know, you've lost the World Open final, but literally i think we were on the flight on the way back and had a couple of drinks and it was like let's go and win dubai because it was the biggest check you could win at the time in women's squash thought right well let's as soon as we land let's get on it let's do it let's not be down so we, i said hopefully the other girls will like take the foot off the gas they won't be quite you know up for it especially shabini she'll just be buzzing because she's won the worlds and and maybe we can use that rising form because Laura came into form that tournament. Like, even though she was world number one, she came up. And because of that final, she lost the world number one slot. And it was it was a big blow. But 
how to, how, do you sit around and wallow? No, I think because I were there and we'd gone through it together, we had enough strength to go, right, you know, I said, you can't turn up in Dubai and want to win it there when we walk in. You have to decide now you want to win it. And this was three weeks out. So that was it. We were on it. And to be fair, that was one of the best weeks I've ever seen Laura play. She beat everybody that week and won the, won the biggest check in women's squash, you know, in under the Burj Khalifa. It was brilliant. Yeah, I mean, just listen to your talk. And I've actually I've had the pleasure as well of, of coaching alongside you guys in New York earlier in the year. Uh, like you're totally, you became immersed in it, totally committed to coaching, totally committed to, you know, helping Laura reach her potential and I'm sure that was reciprocated in Laura helping you reach your potential as a coach or a communicator and, and all this good stuff and hence now I suppose you're working with some of the best players in the world at present. Yeah I think I think it's it's um, it's an absolute uh, honour really isn't it you found something that you can express yourself through um, and you do it for yourself in many ways coaching it, it's for your own evolution and your own expression um, you're doing it, although it looks like you're being altruistic and you're, give, you're doing it for the players, you're doing it for them. You, you are, obviously that's nice, but really I feel like if it's a true passion, you're doing it for yourself because you love what you do. And it's a, it's a canvas area where you can go and paint what you do. And that means that your you, relationship with your players is, is very, very strong then and you're there for them because you appreciate them. And, and I think that care then transfers over and and I think generally you know if they're pretty good people they they understand that and and you you they help you with your ideas you know and, and they, they forgive you all your mistakes and and when you're too intense and you're not you know whatever you forget to do things or you get things wrong they, they forgive you because they know your heart's in the right place so I always think that was important with Laura as well you know we she knew I was trying my hardest and I also think that it's important not not to be frightened of being a bit eccentric and being yourself. You know, I was very aware that, you know, a lot of people thought I was a bit off the wall and a bit out there. Why is that? Well, Shocker. Talk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, the enthusiasm and the, and the interest and the, 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 you know, it's all a geekiness, it's pushy, it's too intense, it's too deep, it's too philosophical, it's over the top, it's too... You know, you're going to get those criticisms, I think, when, you, when you're really being yourself. But you really, you, you do care what people think about you. Everybody does to some degree. But that doesn't matter. You've just got to try your best to carry on being yourself. And DP said to me, you know, Danny, keep coming up with your own ideas. He said, I know you think I'm amazing, but keep, keep coming up with your own ideas. <laughs> that it's vital. And he said, and keep your playing standard as high as you can keep playing, keep learning, because then you don't lose the empathy you have for the players because you keep trying to play and you remember what it feels like to play a match. It's hard. It's not just talking about it. I think, Stuart, you need to have a word with DP. Stuart hasn't played squash for a few years. <laughs> he loves it. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't even own a racket right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, neither does he. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What you both sort of said about, you know, you come home and you don't want to be around us if you don't want to talk squash. It's, it's a way of life, isn't it? I yeah, guess. and I think I um, I think it was always, I did always have this saying that I kind of wanted, um, as Danny said before, kind of leave no stone unturned. Um, but being a professional athlete, such as a short spell, isn't it, generally in your life that... Yeah. You know, I, I turned pro, played, you know, played a few tournaments while I was still a junior. But if you class like 19 as properly on tour, um, kind of to 30, 35, um, you know, it, that's it, done. Um, so I, I wanted, it was probably kind of mid-20s before I realised that I was maybe playing at it a little bit in terms of, you know, I got up the rankings quickly, it, you know-ish, Um was making steady, steady progress up the rankings, let's say. And then you just plateau. And it's like that, what you're doing isn't enough anymore. And that probably got to me to about, it took me a long time. I, I, I wobbled a bit around the 20 in the world. And then it took me a long time to break top 10. And um, that was the sort of time where I thought, you know, it's the extra little bits and you've got to give it your all. It wasn't like that for 15 years straight, but it was it was like that for a lot, a lot of it. 
and I and I wanted my career to be a success and I didn't want to turn around with regret and that that's me personally I'm very disciplined and I, I follow programs very well and I do as I'm told very well and that's in every part of my life so if I get told I need to do sessions hit balls diet do this I, it's going to get done and Jade our physio said that she was like if you told Laura to drink oil because it'd make her better she would and I'd like to think I'd maybe question it a little bit but I, it was as simple as that really if someone tells me to do it it gets done and then you don't even have to follow it up and all of my coaches all of my trainers they just knew that about me and that that's probably now as a coach what I'm sort of starting to appreciate was maybe the special part not super special with the racket not super special physically good but not special um not Shabini special not physically like you know and Nicole was but that ability to stick to stick to the plans, stick to routines, day in, day out, on court, tactics, whatever. I think that's the something that people want to do that and they can do it for a week or a month, but they can't do it week in, week out. So if you've got that as a skill and you know you can, I think it's important to recognize that that's actually a, a talent, maybe then some t- more than maybe some people give it credit for. Huge talent. We talked we talked about a book uh, range last week and listened to the podcast with the author and one of their points was um, a lot of the sports like like running and swimming they can be you know you can by your genetics you kind of can tell what someone's ceiling is and kind of what their potential is it's the skill based sports that anyone can kind of become the best in the world at because there's all those different facets and part of that is you know sticking to the plan and trusting people and so it's cool to hear that yeah um and laura i know arthur gave you a little introduction we want to talk to you a little bit more about um what you've done since retirement but wanted to highlight that you spent 11 years inside the world's top 10 um from 2008 to 2019 world champion two british opens two u.s opens and Commonwealth medals, world teams, championships. And so we wanted to know, you know, what the transition into coaching has been like in your first year. We mentioned the workout videos, the YouTubes you've done. I've seen you all over Instagram on speaking engagements, kind of, you know, you're leaving no stone unturned, it looks like. (laughs) Well, I think it's Obviously, lockdowns brought a bit of a different angle. But when I finished playing um, in May um, last year, so it's it's kind of just about a year, like around a year now, um, we sort of we sort of again kind of agreed together that um, we'd sort of have the summer, chill a bit, um, enjoy retirement, and and then sort of ease into some coaching, get some roles sorted, um, know what we wanted to do. I kind of all well, we kind of agreed that we would see how things looked at Christmas um, didn't want to rush into anything. Obviously when you retire, you get offered quite a lot and, you know, we just sort of tried, I tried to kind of, Danny's very, Danny helped. I, I want to say yes to everything. Danny's like, no, we're not doing that. You know, we're not spending too much time away from home. We've been there, we've done that. Um, you know, and it's great for, I kind of probably, you know, want to do everything. And so, yeah, we just took till Christmas and I settled into a little bit of coaching and a little bit of um, work with England squash, which was brilliant. And then was traveling to a few events and just just enjoying it, really, weren't we? Just enjoying retirement. And I was still playing as well. So that was taking up a lot of my time. And honestly, um, in October, I, I dislocated my kneecap and tore my MCL, um, which was much the worst, the worst injury I've ever had and probably didn't realize it at the time. But now we're in lockdown and now I'm, I was just starting to get back on court when all this happened. Um, I'm actually not, I'd, I would never wish an injury on anybody, but the one thing the injury gave me was time and perspective. And it took my mindset away for the first time from squash player equals Laura Massaro, um, even in retirement. So, you know, I am not who I am because of my squash and the level of squash that I'm playing, which even in retirement, I was... I. I was playing a league match against Lisa Aitken in PSL and I was like, I'm not losing this match. Right? And then I'm like, I'm retired. No, but I'm not losing. Don't matter. You know, and I've got this like devil and, you know, on my shoulder and it was just <laughs> stupid. It's stupid looking back. I did not want to lose and I was going hell for leather and and then did my knee. And I think it gave me a lot of perspective and has given me a lot of perspective and because I haven't been able to train and play and been feeding with a knee brace on and and that was that. So 
yeah, I, um, I'm really enjoying it now and I've slowed down a bit. And like I just said before, I'm really starting to appreciate the fact that, you know, coaching is hard. <laughs> um, and ultimately it's down to the player. Um, and that's why I said, like, I've realized a little bit more. I knew I was super disciplined and stuff, but I realized how much that took out and how much that's maybe not the norm. Um, so I'm trying to help wherever I can, but I really try um, to listen to Danny and DP and leave things a lot in the players' court. So I'm, I always want to be there to support my players and support the people I'm working with, but I try to let them lead it because that's what was allowed and given to me. And then, you know, that's on you then. That's your choice how much you lead it and how much you do it. And occasionally there might be a chat of like, you know, you're not doing enough. And then it's up to them if they actually want to meet your expectation or not. That's awesome. And who, who are some of the players you're working with and what kind of age levels and, and that kind of stuff? Um, well, actually, so as soon as I announced my retirement at the Manchester Open in kind of the beginning of May last year, Joel texted me and said, can we have a chat? And I thought, oh, my God, what have I done? God, I've upset her. And she <laughs> said, like, straight away, like two days after I announced my retirement, I hadn't even retired. I still had the British Open to play. You know, I want you on my team. I want to get in before anyone else does. I just, you've played all the players, I, you know, da-da-da. So super, super honoured and, you know, feel privileged that someone of that level would would want me on her team. And she's working with Hadrian and Hadrian Stiff in Bristol mainly as her main coach. And I support and help where I can. And she comes up to stay and train. And we talk main, mainly tactics a lot. And and I think I can help a lot in that way, which is great. Um working with the England Academy girls um so that's she'll ma- mainly kind of Lucy Tamel and Julianne Cortese are probably the two that access me the most out of that group um but it includes you know the other Academy girls which you know um, Millie Tomlinson um Gina Kennedy now she's finished college um Lily Taylor Grace Gear you know all them names that pop up and then yeah obviously since Christmas as well after Christmas I got my role working um as the pro player representative for head. So um, that's a totally different role and trying to get into the, the mindset of a global brand, which has been so, so exciting. Um, and then Can you Danny give Stuart on- a racket? Sorry? Can you give Stuart a racket? <laughs> I can sort it out for some promo in return. Um, and then Danny's, um, Danny's working with, um, with a load of great players as well. Yeah, Danny, do you want to just talk a little bit about your coaching work and... Yeah, um, I, it's funny. I've, I've, coaching is I'm, my sort of reputation has always been this psychologist type person and everything. And um, I've been coaching sports since. Well, you know, I'm, a, I'm almost a PE teacher by trade, really. So you know, I've coached many sports, and uh, squash has been one of them. Been a, yeah, there's been a lot of players, junior players, and working with a lot of beginner players and amateur players, and you know, it's been great. When it when it's come to professional players, it's generally mainly been more about the uh, the psychological side. So I probably have eight to twelve players at the moment who, who speak to me. Um, obviously, won't go into it too deeply, but they ring up and they're all different. And what I'm all I'm trying to do really with is with most of them is you know in this mad sort of professional type era of you know, everything's so super, you know, you've got to be, you know, you've got to PR yourself all the time on social media. You know, you've got to be seen to be doing this and that. Yeah, everything's your diet, you know, goal setting, resilience, mindset, all this blimmin' professional hype stuff. It's like who's actually helping them as people behind the scenes? Who's who's making it who you know, who's who's helping them feel better about themselves, even if squash wasn't there in their life. Um, kind of links into some of the parent stuff. Uh, and my PhD is actually, uh, which I've been doing, is is links into a lot of it because it's I'm doing a PhD on how to um, how you might live well through a sporting life, whether that be a professional player or a coach, and what what might what are the things you might do that that will allow you to function and live well and survive it really. And, and blossom and thrive. Um, so it's not so much about well-being, which has again become a popular buzzword, and you know, 
there's a lot of a, a bit cynical around a lot of that because there's a lot of trade that's come out of that. Um, that's another debate as well. <laughs> coaching and the, the trade of coaching and the integrity of it all and how we've gone into that mad era. So there's a lot of stuff about that, a lot of philosophy in there, a lot of existential stuff, you know, the things, uh, absurdism and stuff like that, you know. So all that infiltrates how I'm thinking and, and really helps the players unclutter, like the, the fact that they're, they're trying their hardest to be a squash pro, but not everybody can be the best. And it doesn't mean you're a success or a failure if X or Y happens. Uh, we we were lucky, really, to go to the very top of the game and go all the journey and, and then come out of it. have a few years where we weren't quite so brilliant at the end. And, and, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard day to day because I've been in the academic side. I've kept my job at university all this time and I've seen how coaching theory and, and systems have become really popular and level all the coaching badges. Not really on any of those models that he take the individual person into account and their life and how they live it. So it's all as if these models are great, but they're always like set up as if you work on your own a blank slate person. But everybody's so muddled, so chaotic. They've got their own issues. The parents have got issues. They come from different backgrounds, form, good form, bad form, you know, feeling great, feeling not so good, injuries. It's a real messy, sticky, constant situation being a, a professional athlete. And I think people forget that. So where I'm helping a lot of the people is just to sort of remind them about that and letting them download all that and just say, that's okay. And when they've got all that right and they feel better as a person, like right now, do what you want with your squash. So it's not really sports psychology. It's more like life support and, you know, um, making sure that they feel healthy as people as, be- as best as we can. And then occasionally you come in with a little bit of sports stuff where, you know, where you can, you can help and, you know, and, and attack, but at least you do it from a healthy, a healthy place. Um, and that's really why, that's why I love what I do because I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm helping a person, not just a player. Yeah. I think as coaches, we all, the more we get into it, realize that it is about those relationships and how you relate and interact with your players. And it's, it's always interesting. You're obviously coming at it from a slightly more advanced academic background. So you probably understand that side of it uh, a little bit better than your average squash coach. Um, yeah. And I'm curious how that sort of what you see as that in terms of a benefit and, and also was that the sort of impetus to write your book a few years back or did you have that in mind anyway? Yeah, it, it was, the, the book came a similar thing. I think because I'd, I'd seen a lot of the, you know, you talk about the academic stuff. I'd seen a lot of the coldness in the academic stuff. It was like academia took over coaching a bit, you know, it became an art, it became a science and everybody was like, right, qualifying it. And now I'm a coach get the badges, get the awards. It's the same happened with personal training and all these things. It's good. You know, it's professionalized. It's good. Some good things. But it made everybody a bit bland. Made everybody like, you know, trying to be a bit out there or, you know, they all had to be qualified and, and sort of certain. And Some good things about that. But in terms of the, the academic part, my interest was how I was living a coaching life and I was teaching these academic theories. And I was like, there's, there's a place in the middle where it can all mix you know they need to learn a bit off each other but the thing with acad- the academicness and co- courses they sort of tend to take a higher stance as if they're the ones that know and the people that don't have that are a bit stupid and if only you can read this latest book you know all these popular science books and if only you can do this and if only you can do these 10 things then you'll be like me <laughs> and i was a bit like nah nah not at all you, they're already better than you they but also sometimes a, ignore the realities a life. life. Sorry, Stuart. Saying they also seem to sometimes ignore the realities of actually living in that environment and dealing with real people. Just and being a human being, just being a it's, person. It's a it's a hot thing. It's a it's a hot thing to just put out a list of the top ten reasons why people do this or the top ten habits that make successful athletes or successful people successful, right? It it gets a quick, easy read, but yeah, you can't. It's hard to put. Things I couldn't believe the, um, well, the amount of times when this lockdown started. I could not believe the amount of times I read on social media. 
Now's the time to, to make those gains, guys. Now's the time when everyone's resting, work hard, stick to your plans, make your goals, and you'll come out of this lockdown better. And I'm on the phone to the people we both were going, season's done, holiday. You know, how are you going to play well in, Mar- in March, April, May next year, 14 months from now, or whenever, you know, back then, 13 months from now, if you're training foot to the metal now? Like that, it's impossible. No athlete can do that. If it was, if it was May, you would end of season, holiday break, accept it, summer training, come back stronger. Why? What? It's the end of the season. Take a break. You've been training since God knows when last year. So it was like people were training hard, and they were. And I, and I said, look, it's different. You're going to need to do some sort of physical activity, otherwise you're going to go crazy. Of course you are, but get away from squash. Don't watch it. Don't think about it. Put your rackets away. Train when you want to train. Do what you want to do. Eat what you want to eat. Sunbathe a bit if the weather's nice and just chill. And then that's like, you know, maybe 10 weeks ago. Um, So after about, after about three, four, five weeks, depending on each person, they were a bit more like, I'm ready to come back to thinking about squash now. But then that's down to the individual totally. And I think that that rest and knowing the people that you're working with, and that was what DP and I think what Danny, you know, and, and any good coach that I've met, um, you know, carts when we were on the junior program when we were younger and, you know, they're about relationships. They're about coaching the individual. It's not just this big lump of like train then, don't train then, do this, do that. They work and they can get rapport and a relationship going with that person. And, a lot of them haven't done any qualifications. It's through learning and through relationships and qualifications are brilliant, but you can't, you have to just get on court with people and try and understand, understand people and the individual. That's, that's who I feel like the best coaches I've worked with, what they've done. Yeah. It's like understanding the individual and mm. learning how to communicate with that individual and what you need to say to them at a, at a particular time. And if they're feeling down to, read that and not just like push them really hard for the sake of it because yeah. you had planned on them. If they're not in a good frame of mind, then yeah, there's no point. It's kind of productive. You're almost better off just sitting down, having a chat, maybe hit 10 balls in the hour or however long session is. And yeah, chill. Happy days. So yeah, it, it was, it was that, that, that blend in the middle that gave me this when it came to writing the book, which was, you know, I, I already naturally sort of, I had empathy for the parents who was bringing the ch- children to, to coach with me, uh, probably from the early 2000s and on. And it was the parents that said, Yo, you need to write a book because you've really, really helped us when we go to these stressful events with our children. And I was like, I, well, I haven't even got any children. Why should I write a book about that? <laughs> you know, I don't. And, and I thought more I thought about it and the, the more I came up with a few ideas and did, did a few activities it started to pile up and I thought no I'm, I'm gonna write I'm gonna go for this I'm gonna write a book around my philosophies and w- what what I know a bit on the theory side so I set in the book there's a bit the academic side the doctor and the academic and then there's some like I get a lot of interviews from players and parents uh, and you know so I made sure it was chock chock full of stories and different things but ultimately it wasn't it wasn't about, it was actually sticking up for parents. Parents had come in for a lot of stick easily of, oh, they're just pushy. Parents are a nightmare. You know, blooming parents, they just come, they don't know what they're on about. Blooming, you know, parents. And I never really saw it like that. I just saw that you had un- low involved, medium type involved parents and highly involved ones. And it was your job to try and coach the family as best as you could. And they were all in a certain situation, and they were some some were helpful, and at the same time they were they weren't helpful. There's a lot of ambiguity with parents, you know. They're they're helping and they're hindering at the same time, and we all know we do that in relationships. We know we know that we're not just one or the other. So it was a it was like if I can write a book that doesn't attack parents and just helps them along, you might just be able to inform them enough, and they might want to just so that they can become even better or more useful at what they're doing. But it certainly wasn't a book to say, oh, if, you know, listen to, listen to me, I'm the expert. You know, you, you, you must be a rubbish parent, you need this. <laughs> it wasn't that. It was more like you have got a lot of wisdom already with your children. 
hear are some common things that people tend to find work and haven't worked so well. What do you think? And it was a bit like trying to hold a mirror up to the parents so that they could look into it and engage. And again, you know, you're frightened when you put a book out like that because you're easy, you can easily be like judged and attacked. But I just kept thinking if, if, if five to 10, you know, families find it really supportive and brilliant and happy days, I've written a book, which is something <laughs> I always wanted to do. <laughs> And it's great. I've had loads and loads. I get emails all the time, random emails, people I've never met, all different sports. Obviously, it's been passed around because it's on Amazon. And and it's lovely when you get an email that just says, you helped me so much with my daughter. You know, I, I read this chapter and it's just me and I don't do mm-hmm. that anymore. And this has helped. And so it's good. Amazing. Yeah, right. well, it's good, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Must be, yeah, sorry, just to touch on that a little bit more. Like, it must be amazing just to get that feedback from people and then to know, and like you say, you're not doing it to make millions of dollars. You're not doing it to, you're just doing it because you feel that you can contribute to the world and for all the parents that are struggling to connect to their kids while they compete at any sport, squash, soccer, whatever it may be, and just to help them. I think it's amazing. And as you say, there's very few parents that don't have their kids' best interests at heart. It's just sometimes they don't know how to act to to deliver that and to get that across to their kids. Absolutely. And really, a lot of it also came from, I knew, I called it like the pressure of love, when you love somebody and they're really close to you. So I know Laura's, you know, not my child, but we've, we've been so close and we loved each other. It was similar, really, and how you'd... you'd Originally, I used to go firing in. You know, I set the book off with a quite a strong example of when I totally lost it with her <laughs> in Egypt at the World Championships. And I'd got it out of perspective and, you know, quite honest. And then I contrasted that with, with how I became by 2013 when she won the Worlds and how I managed to be really effective in that week, particularly on before the final uh, in sort of, calming her down and getting the mind right and between games and it's you know ma- major pressure you know and and, and ha- ha- you know you ended up being so useful from a position where you were enthusiastic but probably hindering so it was like you can you can get better you don't have to just say oh I am what I am you know me I am what I am you have to be comfortable enough to keep renewing yourself all the time because in a way, it's it's a paradox, really. You're serious, but it's not serious. It's just squash. It's just sport, and you're just coaching. So you're passionate, and you're you're adventurous with it, and you're keen, and you and you you know you're into it. But it's not serious. It's not life or death. Like it really, really isn't. I know everyone says that, but it isn't. And I think the coronavirus has shown that a bit. You know what I mean? Like all these sports stars saying this and that and so on. And, and then you contrast that with the nurses and the people on the front line. It's like, well, that's serious. And we sometimes get lost in this modern world with all the media and the sports shows and the analysis and they're all wearing suits and they're all serious and analysing. And we all, we think it's actually more serious than it is. And I think there's a distinction there between passion and let's get this done if we're doing it right and, that, and being quite a serious person. So, you know what I mean? I believe you can have depth and intensity and, and passion, but you don't have, to, you know, you've got to have a big picture perspective a lot of the time. And that, that, that's, that's internal, that, that starts with yourself. And that's kind of what like you say, Stuart, most parents, you know, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Anyway, parents, aren't they? It's just part of the job spec of being a parent. So it was like, let's cut them some slack and, and you know, let's see if we can help. It wasn't a book for those one or two nasty ones, you know, those real ones that probably need reporting, you know, for, for, for abusing people and stuff. I mean, there is a, you know, there's always these extra levels. Um, so it wasn't, like, it was just for generally for your, for, your, for your good-hearted, probably either under-involved or overzealous parent who, could, who were keen on just getting a bit better. Laura, you're also writing a book <laughs> at the minute. Tell us a little bit about that before we wrap things up. Yeah, well, um, again, like, so we had, a, we had a long chat at the end of my career. I kind of was like, you know, there's no female squash players written a book yet. So I kind of quite fancied trying to be the first. Um, and I, I mean, I loved James's book, thought it was brilliant. Um, I've, I, Jonah Barrington's kind of 
um, was unbelievable, helped me a lot through my career and, you know, looked up to Nick and just thought, wow, like if I can join that club, it'd be brilliant. And along with the fact that autobiographies and sporting books have helped me so much over my career, like, you know, and I talk about that a lot in the book about how certain books got me to win tournaments. Um, reading Tyler Hamilton's book helped me win, helped help me perform really well at, at one of the events. And the same with Chrissy Wellington's book, I Am, I Am Woman. And, you know, the pain that these athletes, particularly cyclists, I Am Woman, I Am Man, um, you know, especially endurance athletes like that, the pain they go through makes squash seem kind of insignificant. So, you know, you could compare yourself to that. You, you knew you weren't alone. And, you know, I read... Diana Nyad's book how the, she, she swam from Florida to Cuba in shark infested waters and you know I've taken so much from athletes who have put their story out there and you know that was that was what I said when I wanted to do it when Danny was like why do you want to write a book what you know what do you just want to put it all over social media and do you want to be able to say you've written a book obviously the conversations we have or do you actually want to help and you know it was a, it was a lot of thinking around I want to help if if, if one young squash player picks up my book and help it helps them develop or it helps a, you know a, a more highly ranked player get through one match like those books have helped me mm. um, and we're trying to talk about it from a women in sport perspective touching upon that you know the equality and how it's a bit different for women as well and mm. you know just really trying to help you know like Danny said with his if it helps one person it gets gets my story out there and like I've spoken to you guys today Same. 10 people and so more followers than that (laughs) (laughs) it was supposed to be um coming out around like we thought about the best time for release and we thought the start of the next season it'd be post tokyo 2020 that everyone would be sport mad but none of them had written their own book yet and then obviously this all happened so the book's um, not far off being finished. I'm working on it with Rod Gilmore, who obviously most people in the squash world know writes for The Telegraph in England, and we're working on it together. And it's it's been a really, really fun, interesting process, reading back through all of my diaries. Sure. I remember how he's like, he's like, this is a lot tougher than I, than I thought it was. So uh, it's a lot of highs, a lot of lows, and, you know, work, it's not a perfect path. Um so yeah, we were thinking around October time, but it's probably just with the fact I'm not going to be able to promote the book. I'm not Maria Sharapova. It's not going to sell itself. So probably have to maybe postpone it till at least Christmas, if if not even maybe kind of linking it in with one of the big events at the start of next year. But I'm really excited and just looking back through diaries and trying to get pictures sorted and it's it's been brilliant. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that it goes down well and excited to kind of, you know, get the final manuscript off to the publishers, which will be great. By Christmas, Laura, we should have like a hundred followers. And I bet you some of them will be in to buy this book. So. <laughs> no pressures to you. We, we have the same motto on the podcast. If one person listens and enjoys it, it was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Even if it was our mom. <laughs> ten, ten, Stu, not one. No, well, I was that one that, person. I was I was tweeting about it everywhere for the week one. Olivia and Peter, I loved that that coach relations, coach it, athlete, and it, it really is. If you're buzzing off it and you're enjoying it, and he's giving you something to you know enjoy and learn a skill, and you, 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 it's great. How, how can it not be bad? You know, I've been DJing again for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> you get you guys, you guys are jacking me up. I'm buzzing from this. Yeah, you know, I've I'm, I'm, I'm got all my old records out and back in the night, early 90s, doing mixes, sending it you out guys, to everybody. You guys inspired him. He's like, if Arthur and them guys can get on SoundCloud, I'm in, I'm in. He's trying to set himself up on SoundCloud a lot. Like, some questions for you DJing. It's absolutely pathetic. Everything's stupid and pathetic, really. But to me, it feels brilliant. <laughs> I love it. DJ back, in the, back in the Hacienda. That's it, it is. It truly is. Stu, you've got no idea. We've had two Hacienda, Hacienda sets going on over the lockdown so far. I'm like, oh no. Don't worry. I know my dance music. <laughs> have you read that book, The Hacienda? I haven't read oh, the book. Yeah, I have. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they've done two all dayers actually. And they've been a couple of highlights of the lockdown for me because like a million people they had yeah. all day Saturday, 12 hours, all the different DJs. And we were coming on from the States, Morales and all the boys there, you know, it was brilliant. Uh, Aidan Harrison in, in Chicago is an old friend of mine and we're always in touch about music and tunes and, and, and PJ's into it. So he's always on with me and 
But yeah, nice. that's, that's been a brilliant part for me. But yeah, you know what I mean? You just got to go for it, haven't you? You know, you've got you got to do your little bit and then if you, you try your hardest and as long as it makes you feel good, who's anybody else to criticise? So it's great <laughs> you're doing this. Yeah, we're having a buzz, Laz, eh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really That's awesome. been great, actually. Yeah. I think I was probably the most reluctant at this. Arthur actually proposed this idea to me at the summer camps in Amherst about two years ago. <laughs> and I was like, sounds like a great idea, but I'm definitely not in. <laughs> I think it'll work perfectly if you find the right people, but that right person isn't me. But no, I've absolutely loved it. Yeah. It is, though. You all contrast each other. Listen to last week's and you were, you know, kind of, Stu just, he just says it how it is, doesn't he? You know, like, bang. <laughs> <laughs> podcasts work don't they people love talking about themselves so podcasts are ace well, my girlfriend says I've got a face for podcasting so. <laughs> <laughs> love you know, it you always feel you always feel you know and I just it is good I listen to loads of different ones and they've you know they've really helped me out you know I do Patreon on one or two of them because they, they're so good and I'm sure the guy who sets up you know the ones the philosophy ones I listen to I'm sure he set off thinking you know, as if anyone's going to listen to me and he's, he's done great, you know, so um, you just got to do it, haven't you? Yeah, yeah sure. You're no worse off for, for trying and nothing else. I got two of my compadres. We all love squash. We've kind of got similar and different views on squash and life. So it's, it's all good, really. I hope the feeling's mutual, Chris and Stuart. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I got to cut that. <laughs> um, well, guys, listen, thanks Thanks a million for your time. We really appreciate you guys coming on. Loved yeah. listening to you talk about all the topics we covered today. I'm sure the listeners will love it as well. And um, yeah, we obviously wish you all the health and happiness going forward. And Laura, best of luck trying to outdo Danny's 10 books. I know that's a big one. Um, yeah, will. All right. Thanks so much, guys. Legends, guys. Boom. Yeah, happy days. Cheers. Buzzing. <laughs> yeah, buzzing, man. Hey. <laughs> All right, Laura and Danny Mazzaro. That was amazing. What do you think, fellas? Pretty uh pretty amazing. Yeah, I uh I think I think it's a very cool story. I can only imagine uh imagine how how hard it would have been at times but but then you can also see the other side that you kind of get the double reward danny feels probably so proud as a as a coach and a partner you know laura's got to be pumped because it's all working and it's working in a way that they want it to work so really really cool really unique i i don't think i don't think ever anyone and everyone could do that so i think it's super cool story I think what I loved the most was just how deliberate they were about everything and it really didn't happen by chance. I mean, they talked about sitting down and discussing what they wanted from each other. And I think we said at the start of the podcast about how meticulous Laura was and how diligent she was in going about her business. And I think that comes through just the way they did agreed everything they were going to do when they were on tour together and clarified the, their respective responsibility to each other. And obviously it it paid off in the end, which is really great to see. Oh, yeah, pretty inspiring, really. Laura also mentioned at the end of the interview a couple of books that she that she read, sporting books that helped her and inspired her to win matches and tournaments. What books inspired you, fellas? Well, mine's a little bit controversial because I remember leading, uh, reading Lance Armstrong's autobiography when I was around. No, 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 no. That's a fantasy book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think at one point it was in the fiction section rather than non-fiction. So, um, but regardless of what we know now, it's still quite an inspiring story. Certainly back then when I read it at the time, to, to read about all the challenges he faced with the cancer diagnosis and then coming back. And you know, I'm not sure I would maybe read it now if I was to go back in time, but at the time it was hugely influential. The other one I would probably pick out would be uh, Andre Agassi's book. I stole mine. <laughs> you must have another have one, big man. I don't have that many in my in my repertoire. <laughs> well, it's all right. It's fine. Arthur will cut this out, and I never read that book. <laughs> yeah, no. I I like that one. It was very inspiring and cool to hear his story. But just you know the the crazy parts too. How uh, you know reminds you of. Um, you know, the Johnny McEnroe's and the, you know, Jonathan Powers and anyone who, uh, any of those kind of exciting sports figures that, that are definitely kind of borderlining, you know, pop, 
pop rock star and super athlete. And yeah, I, I thought that was a really cool book. I was a big fan of, I've got, I kind of, got, I got two. I mean, Laura mentioned Jonah Barrington's. For me, that was, I love that. Used to read it just before I'd start like summer training or enduring summer training. It would really inspire me. The other one actually was really weird. It was a terrible book, but it was Pete Sampras's. <laughs> And the only reason what it was, it was such a contrast to Agassi. And after, as I was reading it, I remember just go, being in a you know a restaurant at a tournament. It's like, hmm, what would Sampras be ordering right now? <laughs> <laughs> Another book on training that I actually read, and I, I don't actually know if it's still available, but when I was in high school, I had to do a project for PE on writing a project, uh, writing a training program for chosen sport. And obviously I chose squash. And it was really difficult to find any sort of, information on training back then but i came across this tiny little book of maybe 20 or 30 pages by peter marshall on training for squash i think it was called get fit for squash like i say it was almost like a a booklet rather than an actual book but i remember reading that and basically plagiarizing that entire book for my project and i got (laughs) the the highest grade possible Uh, i think it was the only one in my class that got the top grade but i remember just reading about some of the court sprint and ghosting sessions and different types of squash training and then going and doing the sessions myself at the at the club, which was kind of part of the project was you had to write your training program and then you had to document the progress you made over like a six-week period. So I actually did a lot of the sessions and then did some testing at the end and definitely got me further, that's for sure. Beast. I'll do it. That'll do, donkey. Okay, guys, another show in the bag. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you, Stuart. Thank you, Chris. Thanks again to Laura and Danny Mazzaro for coming on the show. Thanks to everyone for listening and for your positive feedback to date. We really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And for those new Twitter followers from 8 last week to 12 this week, thank you. Stuart's been buzzing off it all weekend. Till next week. Buzzing. <laughs> yeah, buzzing, man. Hey. Jacked up for the afternoon now. <laughs>